0: Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. Well, we have a very uh, special guest today. I'm I'm excited to um, invite uh, our speaker, um, Steve Harmon, to come and speak with us. He has a real grace and gift for healing, and that's both physical healing as well as inner healing of deliverance issues. So Steve, I'm gonna invite you to come, and would you put your hands together, invite Steve as he comes and shares God's heart with us here today. I have a heart to get believers to know who they are, know what they carry, and know what their job is. Because I wanna see this world changed. I don't know about you. I don't know if you like the way the world looks or feels, uh, but I don't, I don't, <laughs> I, I wanna see it changed. I wanna see this world in a better place. And uh, I don't close my eyes to the suffering going on around me because I wanna, I wanna know, I wanna be aware uh, because uh, the more I see it, uh, the more it motivates me to do something to want to change for the better. And, uh, and I think the thing that I wanted to talk on tonight, today, <laughs> not Thursday, is, uh, I don't know if you were here Thursday, uh, this week, but I was talking on an aspect of the kingdom. And I was talking about what the kingdom is to a degree. But I want to really define it. And then show what it can look like corporately. And so what I talked on Thursday was that we can move in spiritual gifts. You know, the spiritual gifts, I I know Paul says it, spiritual gifts, but I I rather look at them as tools, tools to show people that God exists and show people that God loves them and how much God loves them. And so... A lot of times believers don't understand the degree of how much they really carry that power inside of them. They just think that it's only the gifted people out there, the ones who are talented, the ones who are only anointed are the ones who are going to be doing that stuff. But it's all of us. The ones that are that are doing that, they're supposed to be the ones teaching everybody how to do it. The prophet is supposed to teach people how to hear from God themselves, how to prophesy. That's the job of a prophet. The job of an evangelist is to go out, minister the kingdom, but supposed to teach people how to go out and mingle with the people out on the street, heal the sick, cast out demons, cleanse lepers pastor, teaching people how to minister to the heart of people, teaching them how to understand the depths of what's going on inside of a person, because we're all going to have friendships and relationships, and we're all going to know how to know the deep inner reaches of what's going on inside of somebody so we can find out what is plaguing them, what's keeping them in bondage, getting them free. And so you have these gifts of or these offices that God has put out. And leadership is supposed to teach the body how to do the work. That's what Ephesians 4 is. Equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. It's not the job of the leadership to get the world saved, transformed. It's the job of the body of Christ, the church. The leadership is to equip. But the thing I wanted to talk about is a main Understanding on your purpose as a believer. We have the gospel of the kingdom versus the gospel of salvation. What we have been taught most of our lives is the gospel of salvation. The gospel of salvation. And the gospel of salvation is basically like an an escape plan get the person saved. Get the person saved. That's our focus. Get them to know God so they can go to heaven. Get the person saved, proclamation, evangelism, salvation, eternal, heavenly focus. It's all evangelistic in that sense. Get them in, get them saved. Get them saved, keep them saved, make sure they maintain it all the way up until their death so they'll go to heaven. That's kind of been the focus for so long in the church. And so we don't really see our overall purpose of what's really going on. So when you look at the state of the world, you wonder why is this world in such shambles? Why is it going the way it is? And we just think, well, I guess it's God's will. I guess this is what God wants for us. I guess this is how it's supposed to all work out. It's the will of God. Well, according to Jesus, that's not what it's supposed to look like. According to Jesus, that's not what he said for us to do. In this mindset, this gospel of salvation, we just pretty much teach everybody to not sin, try not to sin. No, that's your, after you get saved, just maintain that righteous lifestyle until you die so you can go to heaven. The focus. American dream, we kind of intermingled that within our American Christianity. Nice house, nice nice car, nice family, good retirement, go to church once a week, then repeat over and over and over. And then again, we wonder why the world keeps going the way it does. And then there's that rapture mentality. Again, the escape plan. Just, God, get us out of here, it's going so bad. Eject, eject the butt, you know, get us out of here. We wanna leave. So this mentality that we've had within the church has led to the fruit of what we see in the world because the church is inactive with the world. The church doesn't know how or what to do because they're told your job is to get saved and leave. Get out of here. That's not what Jesus taught. That's not what Jesus modeled. And it is so clear in Scripture. But the reason why it's not so clear is because we see it modeled all around us through action. When we see it modeled through action, then... We just go, well, 20 million people can't be wrong, right? You know, it's that kind of that logic. Uh, Argumentum ad populum. It's a fallacy. But just because 5 million people are saying that 2 plus 2 equals 5 doesn't mean it's true. Because so many people say it. The gospel of the kingdom is about invading and establishing. Invading and establishing what it looks like in heaven. So that's where Jesus makes the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven looks like a different place other than earth. It has no sickness there. It has no depression there. It doesn't have anything that we see here. No war, nothing. Everything is completely under control the way we'd want it to be in the right way. Jesus came to shift all that. He came to, of course, get us into heaven, bring us to the Father. But he also gave us a pattern on how to take back the earth because that's what was given to Adam in the very beginning. Take dominion, rule and subdue it. Do you think God just abandoned that plan because it all went haywire? No. Jesus is called the second Adam. So he was reestablishing what he first intended in the garden. He wanted to reestablish that. That's why Jesus' ministry was modeled to heal the sick, cast out demons, cleanse lepers. The kingdom of God has come upon you. That's what he called it because he was removing the demonic powers from this planet. And he was showing 12 other people how to do this and they were supposed to do the exact same thing. 12 shows 144 shows, you know, it's supposed to just keep multiplying and multiplying. The gospel of the kingdom is to influence through servanthood, uh, servitude. Godly leadership, act of faith. Focus on taking dominion, possession of the land. Jesus' mission statement was this. In Luke four eighteen through 19, he says, he He opens up the scroll and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then he rolls up the scroll and he says, today, this has been fulfilled in your midst. Jesus does some things wrong there. According to our biblical way of hermeneutics and our uh, form of exegesis, he, he quotes that out of context and he adds to it, he gives sight to the blind. Isaiah never said that and then he cuts it off at the end of that verse and he doesn't quote and to bring, he says, after he says to proclaim the, year, the favorable year of the Lord and he doesn't keep going after that because after that, Isaiah was talking about judgment. He cuts off the judgment part. He doesn't want to bring that, why? Because he was not there to bring judgment on the earth. He was coming to save what was lost. So that's why his two apostles, when they rejected Jesus, they wanted to bring fire down and Jesus rebukes them and says, you don't know what spirit you're of for the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Jesus was establishing his kingdom and dominion on the earth there's a guy that wrote something that I really appreciate. And he says this, he, he says this really good thing about Joshua, when God tells Joshua to come in and take out the land and drive out the inhabitants. He didn't just say, go in there and set it up. But this is what he says. He goes, I want, to, I want you to imagine a conversation between Joshua and God. Now, Joshua, I have called you to take the leadership from Moses, and I want you now to take my people across the Jordan into the promised land. However, once you cross the Jordan River, I want you and all your people to sit down. Your mission is done. God didn't say that. Ridiculous, right? You might say, I would agree with you, but in many ways, this is exactly what the American church has done in the last 50 years. We have preached the gospel of salvation, but we have not taught the people to apply the message of the gospel to their everyday life. This is the difference between the gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus did not come to merely give us a ticket to heaven. He came to bring us much more. He came to bring us the kingdom of God on earth. Nowhere in the Bible will you find the term gospel of salvation. The church does not exist for heaven. The church exists for earth. If it existed for heaven, for only heaven, then each of us would immediately be taken to heaven. Oswald Chambers said, It is not a question of being saved from judgment, but in being saved in order to manifest the Son of God in our mortal flesh." There would be no reason for us to remain on earth if there was not a work to be done. So why has God allowed us to receive this new birth and remain on earth? It is that we might bring the kingdom of God into our world, our families, our workplace, and our communities. When I was praying, I was just asking God about this church and the name Mountain Mountain very prophetic name. (laughs) Mountain sits high. It's over everything and it sees a distance. And I just felt like the Lord speak about this church being a place for healing, like a hospital and a place for transforming. As it sits on this plateau and looks down at the city, it sees its mission, that city right there. The, the, the one, the city that's called Sin City that everybody looks at as this is a lost cause. This place is a lost cause, not to God. That's where God usually shows up the most is when everybody forsakes something like this. This city belongs to this church. And this is what God wants to do is to reform this place, to transform the lives and to change people into nice people for the kingdom, to heal the sick, cast out demons, cleanse lepers, remove the pain, the suffering that we see all around us, broken lives, broken families. This is what the church was born for. This is why when the world looks at the church, they'll look at the church, there's a place we can get hope. There's a place we can see, we can can get a help for our problems. They're not just judgmental bigots or whatever, you know, that, you know, the church gets labeled all the time. Jesus mentioned the kingdom over 70 times in scripture. The scriptures, uh, the kingdom is already here. Now, part of the thing is the way to look at this is the kingdom of God was established on the cross. And when Jesus died and resurrected, the kingdom of God is established. And to way, the way you would look at that is like you'd have a circle, okay? And in that circle, there would be a circle within a circle. But at the corner, there'd be this little blip, and that circle within the circle, like the circle is earth, and inside that circle is the kingdom of darkness, just shadowing the edge of that circle. But when the cross happened, it had to kind of do a little loop-de-doo around that because the cross was established right there and then went around the inside. Look at what Jesus did was Normandy. You know what Normandy was in World War II? The Nazis took over all of Europe and they pushed the, the Axis pushed out all of the allies. And so they had to make this coalition force to come back and reinvade Europe. And they started on the beaches of Normandy. Normandy or D-Day, as it was called, is the cross. And the kingdom of God is reestablished from when it was lost by Adam. And then it starts sweeping over, retaking ground that was lost. That's what the church is supposed to be about. That's what we're doing today. That's why things are happening at a more accelerated rate. The, The darkness is getting darker. The power of God is getting stronger. Because light and darkness are coming to a head in this clash. I'm gonna just read some of the scriptures in uh, uh, through, through the Bible where the gospel, or I'm sorry, the gospel of the kingdom is specifically mentioned. You have the gospel of the kingdom, Matthew 24, 14. This gospel. Of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Luke four, forty-three. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities before it was sent for this purpose. Luke 9, 2, he has sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. Luke 10:9, the kingdom of God has come near you, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be added. Luke do not be afraid, little flock, because your father has chosen to give you the kingdom. Colossians 1.13, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Hebrews 12.28, therefore, since we have received a kingdom which should not be shaken, let's show gratitude by which we may offer God an acceptable service of reverence and awe. The kingdom is here. It is not gonna be established in the millennium. It is already here. Those scriptures prove it over and over. The kingdom is here. And then Luke, or I'm saying, sorry, Isaiah 9, 7, of the increase of his government there will and peace, there will be no end. It's saying that the kingdom will not be overtaken once it's established. So why are we living like it's going to be taken? Part of that is eschatology. It's the rapture mentality. We've been taught that. I don't know if you knew that 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 eschatology where everything's just going to go bad and then Jesus is going to, or God's going to have to pull us out of the earth. That's a new eschatology. It's been around for 200 years, started in 1820 by John Darby and then kind of fizzled out and then picked up steam in the 1950s with Hal Lindsey's late great planet Earth and then just got bigger and blew up in the 90s with the Left Behind series. And see what happens when you get told that eschatology, you're told that it's over. It's like, it's like playing a game, and you're, you're, you're in a baseball game. You're down by two runs. It's the eighth inning, and somebody from the future tells you, go, hey, Ari, I have to tell you, you guys are going to lose this game. I, I'm from the future. How is that going to make you feel for the rest of those next two innings? It's going to take your drive out of you. The enemy wants to tell you these things because he wants you to quit, because it looks so bleak in darkness. We're lo- It looks like we're losing, because there's a lot of craziness going on in the world, but you have to understand when it gets darker, it gets brighter too. If you are willing to understand what you're carrying in you and start walking in that, God will start manifesting in you. So last week, we talked about healing the sick, and I was talking about that You know, well, I've prayed for the sick before and uh, it didn't work. Well, that's because you have to practice it. Well, where is that in the Bible, Steve? Well, where is it in the Bible? It says it has to be in the Bible. It's a theology. I mean, God is not limited to what was written in the Bible. We just use the Bible to know what spirits we're talking to. So we don't talk to the wrong deceptive spirits. Jesus is the right spirit. And that Bible lets us know. That's our plumb line. But the reality is, is that God is going to be establishing his kingdom and he's going to do it through his people because that's how he designed this. It's just not going to happen by us sitting around and doing nothing. That's When we sit around and do nothing, that's why the world starts getting worse. But what I believe is happening is that there are people that are finally getting it. They're realizing who they are, what they carry, and they're not letting bad theology hold them back. They're pressing through it. They're looking at the scriptures and not reading it through somebody's lens. We are to take the land. How to minister to people? We don't take the land through force. We don't take the land through asserting our religion on people in a hard way, you know, believe, believe. You know, this is the truth. I mean, when you see somebody come up to an atheist and, and then uh, they kind of lock them up into this thing of, well, don't you know that you're sinning against God? Well, if they don't believe in God, you're trying to hold them to a law or a, tri- a set of rules that they're not even under. So that's a kind of an irrelevant argument if you want to do it that way. you got to establish that they believe in God first. So you got to convince them. That's why I would rather, rather than argue with an atheist, I'd rather you know, if they want to have that argument, I could argue with them for the next two years if God exists, or I could just heal their knee and show them that God exists. That would be the best way to do it, because that'll end two years of argument and speed up the process. (laughs) This is why God wanted us to do miracles, because it does a whole lot better than us having to speak, which is what anyone else can do. I remember somebody saying something like this, well, they go, you know what? We go out and we feed the homeless and, you know, and everybody, they go, yay, good job. You feed the homeless, and, which is good. We need to do that. That's just a part of what Christians should be doing. We need to give people their needs. But he says, I realize though, but not everybody gets happy when cancer gets healed. Not everybody gets happy when, Paraplegics get out of wheelchairs. Why? Because power forces a decision in people. A Muslim or any other person or an atheist can go out and feed the homeless. That doesn't prove anything. That just proves that some human beings have some money and they lent that to somebody for their needs. But if something that is inhuman, humanly impossible happens, then people have to think about that and that starts to challenge them. So that's why... Miracles, signs, and wonders have such a great effect on changing the hearts and minds of people once they encounter those things. Can't tell you how much better they work rather than holding up a sign or having a megaphone or handing out tracts to convince people that God exists and wants to have a relationship with them. It works so much better. Jesus knew what he was doing. Bless them. Go out there. Sometimes, I think a lot of times we, we... we, we chalk ministry up to you have to only be this type of person where you do street evangelism. That's the only way it can be done, which is, again, we're, we're drastically limiting how this is supposed to work. Uh, that is one way you can go do it. But Jesus says to go to all nations and preach the gospel. Not everybody's going to get on a plane ticket and go somewhere. Your nation is your sphere of influence. The people that are around you, your family, the people at your school, the people at your job. Just people around you. That's your world that God wants you to minister to. And the way you minister to them is not, do you know Jesus died for you on the cross? I'm not saying you don't do that, but what I'm saying is you don't have this cookie cutter approach of how you want to minister to people. You look at the need because what is the whole goal? You're wanting to draw them to God entice them to God, not fear them into this place and pressure them. It doesn't work. I've seen a lot of salvations come from fear. I've seen, and pressure. I don't, when I, the people, a lot of salvations that I've seen happen that way, the walk it doesn't maintain a good strength. And a lot of times they fizzle out. But when they come through God because they want God, because you drew them into something, then God gets their heart and then can do something miraculously and establish something powerful. Bless them by giving them your time, your ear, your money, your counsel, your help, praying for them, of course, and friendship. They're gonna see God existing in you by your service and love to them. That's what love is supposed to look like. we'll, we'll talk about love, but we needed to find and get into the minutia of what love is supposed to look like in relationships. And whether those relationships may be five minutes when you encounter somebody on the street or in a Walmart, or whether it's somebody that's at your job and you're seeing every week and you're watching them go through their own hell in their life. You're hearing their story, you're hearing what's going on in their life, and then you get... Get with them on their lunch break, and then you just talk to them. Hey, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you in this situation? And see, they're gonna just see this the love of this Christian that wants to intervene into their life. And they're just gonna, they're not judging them, they're not telling them you need to go to church, go to Jesus. They're just gonna see this love from this person that is interested in them and wants to help them. That's gonna make an impression, that's gonna make them think that there's something different about this Christian, which is me means this. They're gonna be something different about the Jesus that they're talking about, which means they're bringing down a wall and they're opening up their heart. And that's how people start to go or start to move towards the kingdom of God. Paul says, I plant the seed, Apollos waters it, God grows it. You just know where you're at with each person. I'm planting the seed, which means you're the first time they ever hear of what you believe, because you don't have to tell them what you believe. They'll sometimes ask once they get to know you, you're interested in them, they're going to want to know about you. You can just tell them a little bit about yourself and about what you believe in your heart and what you do in your life. And they're going to, then, then they will inquire more for those things. That's how it works. And then sometimes being led by the Spirit, God will just say, I want you to give them this prophetic word. I want you to say this to them. I want to give you, to you to give them this word of knowledge. How would you have known that? Because God showed me this give you a couple examples of that. But talking about the future really quick, let me establish something real quick. I don't know. you. There's this one guy who has this really awesome story that I like hearing. And he said, one day, he said he was done with the ministry. This is back in the late 70s, I think. He says, I'm done with the ministry. And he's like, God, I quit. Spiritually unemployed. I'm not working for you anymore. I'm going to take up my brother Adolfo's offer, um, and I'm going to go work for Amway. Sayonara. I'm done. And God's like, okay, I hear you, Mario. He goes, but before you uh, quit, I just want to, I want you to pray, and I want you to, I just want to talk with you real quick. And he's like, he's like, ah, no, 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 (laughs) no. I know that trick. I know what you're going to do. You're going to You're gonna give me a promise and then you're gonna make me a prisoner to that promise and then you're gonna create a crisis and you're gonna make sure that that doesn't happen. No, I am not gonna do that. So he's upstairs and he's throwing furniture and it's hitting the wall and he's like so angry. And then finally he's like, okay. He says to him and he speaks to him and he says this, I'm gonna pour out my spirit on San Francisco and the whole world is gonna watch and wonder. He goes, that does it. How could you say something so low, so impossible? How in the world could you say something like this? Yeah, it's impossible. If you're gonna pour your spirit out on San Francisco, California, you prove it to me supernaturally right here and now. And then the phone rings instantly. And he goes, you thought I answered that phone quickly. He's like, I didn't. I looked at that phone because I knew Jesus was on that phone. So he looked at it and he goes, All right, he picks it up, he goes, hello? He goes, yes, he goes, is this Mario Murillo? He goes, it is. He goes, this is Bob Dylan. He goes, Alan, right now is not the time because he had this friend, Alan, who would do voice impressions. He goes, Alan, who's Alan? He's like, "Uh, no, this is Bob Dylan. He goes, "Uh, uh, okay, okay. He goes, I just got saved and I have a friend who, who uh, said that I have a friend who is nasty and weird and would do whatever. And he can help pray for you when you tell your audience today that you uh, have given your life to Jesus. So if you want to, in other words, if you want to pray away the enemy, this person can do it for you. And he says, my friend gave me your name. And he says, if you, will you do it? He's like, "Uh, yeah, sure. He says, okay. Well then there'll be two tickets for you and we'll call. He's like, all right. He says, and as they're ending the phone call, Mario says, oh, by the way, I'm sorry, Bob Dylan says to Mario and says, oh, by the way, Mario, did God tell you that he was going to pour his spirit on in San Francisco? He said, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. These are things that the church has to think about. I can't tell you how many people I know, friends I know, who keep seeing the same vision over and over and over, at least 30, at least and probably more, of a massive wave coming over California and sweeping across the nation. And it's not a wave of destruction. Like if you had a lens for doomsday, it's a, it's a lens of God's spirit coming over and it's sweeping across the world when I recommitted my life, I I remember one of the first things God showed me was an end time revival movement that God was gonna sweep across this entire planet. I don't know how that's gonna necessarily look. I'm not saying everybody's gonna be saved. I don't believe that. But I believe many are gonna come into the kingdom. Many are gonna come into the kingdom. I believe there will be hard times for sure. Doesn't mean there won't be a war. Doesn't mean there won't be death and destruction because we're fighting heavy-duty darkness on this planet. But the church has to understand what they're in and what they're involved with. We have to fight for our cities and the people around us and the broken. There's many ways we can minister if we understand how to do it outside of the box. There's this one story where this church, they... We're trying to ask God, where do you want us to go? Where do you want us to meet? Now, it doesn't mean that they had to do their service there. It just means, hey, we want to do something where we want to meet because we want to touch people. So they kept praying, and and they got this word, red lion, red lion. Didn't know what it meant. And so one day, he's driving with the pastor. He's driving around, and he sees this building. It says red lion, and it's a bar. And so he's like, huh, pulls out talks to the barkeep, and he says, uh, do you have any room at this place? Like a, he's, like, he's like, actually, we have a loft right upstairs. Nobody uses it. We don't use it for anything. But uh, if you guys want to use it, you go ahead. We can work out a deal. He's like, okay. So this is in England. So they get the church, and they start stacking up in that loft. They put live music in there. They put some tables down. They heard what the people were listening to downstairs and did some of the music upstairs. So people downstairs who had their beers and their drinks, they're like, I want to listen to live music rather than jukebox. Let's just go upstairs. So they go upstairs, take their, their beer, sit down, and just want to listen to live music. They would just come down and introduce themselves, start sitting down, talking with them. Hey, how's it going? And so they would have really good conversations, establish relationships with people. People were starting to really come to, to the Lord by that interaction. Breakthrough came when this one kid got this prophetic word for this one guy. He talks to the leader and he says, I don't, I don't know what this means. What, what do you think it means? He tells him the word. He's like, yeah, I'm not sure, but go ahead, tell him. So he sits down at the table, holds this guy's hand and he says, Lenny, God knows how you feel. He killed his son too. The guy breaks down, just starts weeping, crying. He said, like I've never heard a man weep, ever. He was just just floored. And then he goes into his story. He used to be a poacher out on the game field. And then one day his son came in and he was cleaning his da- gun. And he says, daddy, daddy, shoot me. And he pulls the trigger and literally exploded his son's head right in front of him. And... Everything he lost after that. Everything he broke completely, lost his family, lost his wife, everything. Just this image, seeing this image repeated in his head, he would just drink himself to death. He could, that's all he would do every single day, drink, 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 because he's trying to get this image out of his head. And everybody knew this guy's story and what happened to him. But it was the only word and way that God could speak to this person to get him out of his pain, his shame, his guilt, his suffering, his torment. That specific word, Lenny, God knows how you feel. He killed his son too. That day he got clean, cirrhosis of the liver, healed, gone. He got saved, walked, walked away from that. The barkeep said, you lost me, my best customer. He was a testimony to the whole city because everybody knew him. And it was such a, an amazing thing of what God did and a transformation in that because of how they asked God what to do and how to reach these people. Another one, there was this area where they were trying to church plant and every church plant in this area failed. Nothing was working. Like seven times, it just kept, quit, uh, just kept fizzling out, fizzling out. And then they go, maybe we should ask God why it's not working hey, God, why isn't it not working? And then the Lord said, well, they should have asked me, but he said, the, the older generation is hardened to the gospel. There's a lot of wealth there, and they, they're just really hardened. It's just where they're at. He says, but what I'm doing is I'm going through the 8 to 12-year-olds. I want to minister to the 8 and 12-year-olds in the community. So what they did is that they established a children's church and they brought them in from the community and just opened them in, and, and it just kept growing and growing, ministering to 8- and 12-year-olds. What they did, they started to teach them how to hear from God themselves, how to prophesy, how to heal the sick, how to move in the gifts. And kids, they're, they're really going to move in it. And it's cool when you watch kids do it because you'll see a lot of healing come from kids. I remember this one little kid, uh, a friend of mine, his son, Mikey, I mean we would have him pray over people and people would just get healed people would get I mean he'd just go up and touch them like that and they would just go down under the power of God and they would have awesome encounters because childlike faith when we get too adult in our mind as we get older we get too rational sometimes and that intellectual thinking gets in the way and it's hard to think like a child and to really believe God child doesn't have those restrictions on the inside well they started establishing this church. And as this church began to grow with kids, uh, breakthrough came when this one girl prayed for her grandma. And grandma had bad arthritis in her knee and a plastic kneecap. So her arthritis was hurting one day. And so the little girl goes, she's eight. She says, hey, uh, grandma, can I pray for your knee? And she's like, oh, how sweet. Of course you can pray for my knee. She puts her little hands on the knee. And she says, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, be healed. She's like, oh, that's so sweet. And uh, grandma goes to, the hospital, or goes to the doctor. The doctor looks at the knee, x-rays it. She's like, that's weird. There's no, X- There's no arthritis in the knee. And they go, maybe we got the wrong one. So they x-rayed the other knee, and the plastic kneecap was gone. Guess who was in church the next week? Grandma. The kids were reaching their parents and the adults because when a kid comes at you with the gospel, it's, you, you, your guard is down. Like, what are they going to do? Oh, yeah, this little religion stuff. You know, but when it comes from an adult, you have your guard up. You know, you're, what are you going to do? You're going to try to coerce me and try to push me into something. But that's how God was reaching the adults. And it grew into a big, normal church after that. Other thing was... There's this one area in Eastern Europe where everybody, there was so much crime in the community they didn't know. They didn't know how to reach these people because nobody would leave these buildings because they just didn't they didn't ever want to get out. Well, there was one building where they prayed, and God showed them, this 38th floor was condemned. It was all burnt out with the fire. So what they did is that they bought the whole entire floor, and they established, uh, they renovated the whole thing. They established a room for training an area for lounging, put some comfy seats in there, laundry room, and a cafe and a nursery. And, that, and they ministered to the entire, the entire building. Everybody on that entire building, they knew they could go there. They could do their laundry for free. They could get food for a low price. And they would watch their kids for them. And it was known as the church on the 38th floor. Whole, I mean, tens of people were getting saved and healed. and I mean, just so many things. Then there was another idea where they bought a small grocery store and they would sell all the food for cost. And then they would get the people's lists of what they wanted at the store. They'd go get it for them while i will sit down, counsel them, pray with them, meet their needs and watch their kids for them. And I mean, it just exploded. And tons of people would come. I mean, there's just so many ways of looking at it. But I wanna end on this. And if we look at just the heart of what this is really about. We're not trying to go out there to change people's bad behavior. We're going out there to love on them. And this one guy, Robbie Dawkins, had this one dream in his ministry years ago that revolutionized him and what he does. So in this dream, he he, he, he comes into the church, and in this church, there are people that are in the, in the church, and they are fighting, they are doing drugs, they're having sex in the pews. They're doing everything that is wrong about what you should be doing in a church, everything. They were just not respecting anything. And then he comes into the church, and he says, if you can't respect God's house, then get out. And then all of a sudden, he hears God talk to him, and he says, why would you send away the people that I sent in there? You said you wanted the lost. Love them, keep it simple, and I'll do the changing. He said it changed my whole view on everything from that point on and how I minister, how I look at brokenness, because that's really the heart of the gospel. We are there to love, use those tools that God has given us to help ship or help change and establish the kingdom in our town and our cities. And we can do it, but we got to catch that vision for it and understand this is how it really works. It's the gospel of the kingdom, establish God's domain upon this earth. So we're going to get there and it's going to be a fight. We can all do it. We just need to be trained. We need some tweaking in our theology to you know, get us out of our comfort zones, but trust me, it's a life you'll want to live. It will change your life because you'll start seeing that God wants to use you and that you're not just a person that just sits in the background and have no purpose. You all have a purpose. Every one of you has a specific calling on how you're to bring the kingdom. Every one of you. And the more you seek after God for this, the more He's going to establish it and start showing you and talking to you about it. And you'll see it manifest. And it'll be the life that you've always wanted to live and you don't even know it. So, anyway, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.